everyone. Welcome back to JCM Prepare the Way. My name is Carol, and I just want to welcome you back to our Revelation series. We are so grateful you are joining us on this journey, and we have completed the seven letters. I hope you all enjoyed them. I know we find them truly fascinating and a key part to our own preparation for the return of Jesus one day, truly. There is a message in those letters for believers today. That's why we spend so much time on them. But now we are past that, and we are now moving into the body of this whole letter. And it begins with this magnificent shift, actually, to a scene that comes from these letters to a scene of glory and power and majesty and truly awestruck wonder, because John is entering the throne room of heaven. Now, before we read and discuss chapter four, I just want to remind us of a few things that are very important as we move forward in the book of Revelation. In the weeks ahead, we're going to encounter that apocalyptic imagery we talked about in an earlier episode. We're going to encounter the angels, different angels doing different things. We're going to encounter living creatures and many different symbolic references, not to mention a great deal of trouble that is coming upon the earth. But then we're also going to encounter a new beginning, and that comes towards the end. So our emotions might go on a bit of a roller coaster ride, but I want you to keep in mind, Jesus is in complete control through it all. I think that's why the shift that we're making today for chapter four, and then in the next episode on chapter five, you are going to see the necessity of having a pause right here before we go into the trouble. Because we all need that reminder that Jesus is in complete control. We need to have that peace that surpasses all understanding as we begin to walk through trouble on the earth. And I also want to remind you that there are going to be things, my friends, that we just do not have answers to or understand fully this side of heaven, no matter who is teaching on the subject. You know, a seminary doesn't reveal the mysteries of God. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. And so when the Holy Spirit wants things revealed, he's going to reveal them. And he won't reveal them to just one or two. He'll reveal them to the church, the body of Christ. God makes very clear in Deuteronomy 29, 29, the secret things belong to the Lord our God. But those things which are revealed belong to us and to our children forever. And that's key. God has revealed what he once revealed, and he has kept other things secret. And it's his secret. So anyone out there claiming to have the secret things of God, be careful. They're more than likely a false prophet. So we're about to go on a journey where God has led us in on some of the ways in which he plans on closing out this present age. Why? What is the ultimate purpose for studying end time prophecy? Why does he want us to know things? Well, there's a couple reasons. Number one, we did an, a, a podcast episode on fear. And one of the things mentioned in that episode, a lot of times fear lies in the anticipation of something. If you're going to the dentist, if you're waiting for test results, something, there is an anticipation. And so we fear until that anticipation has passed. 
Well, our Lord is so gracious and good to us that he has let us in on a lot of the things that are going to take place in order to close out this age before the return of Jesus so that we don't have to fear because we now know what is going to take place. So that's one reason. But the other one is this. See, all prophecy in scripture, it has one central mission, to make us aware of the coming of the Lord as an imminent reality. Because when it is an imminent reality, we keep ourselves pure. We keep ourselves spiritually prepared. We keep ourselves holy, right? We are on the ready. Second Peter 1 19 says, and so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. It is in our best interest to pay attention to the prophetic word of God, to heed it. Peter is not so much talking about what's happening in the world, but what's happening in our hearts. And this was true even with the Old Testament prophets. It was about getting themselves right with God. Our Lord desires that each one of us live in excited anticipation of the return of the Lord. That is how every believer should be living. Are you? You know, any teacher of prophecy out there that is solely focused on future events and not on the condition of your soul, should Christ return at any moment, is one you need to keep an eye on. So this is why God reveals things. One, he doesn't want us to fear, but two, he wants us to be ready. And God reveals the future throughout the Bible. And we are going to pull in different scriptures throughout these episodes that you can research and study on your own so that you can start putting pieces of this puzzle together for yourself and then take that information and pass it on and teach it to the next person. We have to read and study the Bible, though in order to discover the parts that God has chosen to reveal. In Isaiah 44, 6 through 7, it says, Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last. Besides me, there is no God. And who can proclaim as I do? Then let him declare it and set it in order before me, since I appointed the ancient people. And the things that are coming and shall come, let them show these to them. The Lord in this verse is presenting a challenge. I am God. I know what happened in the past. I know what will happen in the future. If anyone repudiates this, let him come forth with the same breath of factual information that I offer. So friends, never seek out knowledge from the future, for the future, from anyone else but Almighty God himself. Because the last thing I want to say is in Isaiah 8, 19, 19 through 20, and when they say to you, seek those who are mediums and wizards who whisper and mutter, should not a people seek their God? Should they seek the dead on behalf of the living? To the law and to the testimony, if they do not speak according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. So throughout all these future episodes, this is what I want you to keep in mind. Don't be going into this just because you want information on the future. And if you're not getting the answers you want, don't go seeking it in false places that have no light in them. The key part of Revelation, as we mentioned, 
is a manual for martyrdom. It is to help you not fear so that you know what's coming, right? Removing the anticipation, but then it's also to help you prepare for his imminent return. And so throughout all these future episodes, we're going to look at things plainly, simply, and through the lens of scripture, additional passages other than revelation, like I said, that speak of future events. We're going to take into consideration current world events too, and see where they might fit as well. But if there are things that are obscure, then God has left them that way for a reason. And so we now open Revelation chapter 4, where John has been invited to go somewhere. So let's read what's taking place. After these things, I looked, and behold, a door open, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me, saying, Come up here, and I will show you things which must take place after this. Immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. And he who sat there was like a jasper and a sardius stone in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne, in appearance like an emerald. Around the throne were twenty-four thrones, and on the thrones I saw twenty-four elders sitting, clothed in white robes, and they had crowns of gold on their heads. And from the throne proceeded lightnings, thunderings, and voices. Seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Before the throne there was a sea of glass, like crystal. And in the midst of the throne and around the throne were four living creatures, full of eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion, The second living creature was like a calf. The third living creature had a face like a man. And the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. The four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes around and within. And they do not rest day or night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne saying, you are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they exist and were created. This section of the letter is relatively straightforward. Both chapter 4 and chapter 5 need little introduction. In particularly chapter 4, we have come out of the letters where Jesus was responding to things taking place on the earth, right? And the scene now shifts from earth to heaven. We get a glimpse of heaven as we witness in this passage of scripture, heavenly adoration of which all earthly worship is an echo. John has entered into a worship service. He's been invited to come up here and see what heaven looks like. I just think it's remarkable. And it is a privilege that was shared by few during their lifetime. Paul had a similar experience in 2 Corinthians 12, 1 through 6. You can look that up. Isaiah had a similar experience in Isaiah chapter 6. You can look that up. But heaven, this is the place 
where God reigns and rules, and he's invited John up there to witness it. And so John has entered into a realm indescribable on a human level. I mean, imagine trying to write his experience in a way in which others will understand. He has to put language to the vision, and this was 2,000 years ago. Bear in mind, as you continue to read through Revelation, that these things that you are going to be reading through are going to be things that John has tried to find words to in order to help us understand. You know, it's like we said earlier, it'd be like one of us trying to explain a computer or a phone or even social media to somebody a thousand years ago. We would have to speak in pictures or draw pictures or describe it in a language using familiar things around them to help them relate to what they are trying to describe, what John is trying to describe. And that's what's happening. And so I just encourage you as we read through these subsequent chapters, try to lay down all logic and just step into the moment that he is in. Because this scene in heaven, it is breathtakingly beautiful. You have the voice of a trumpet speaking to him. If any of you out there have heard shofars being blown, or maybe you own one, you know exactly that sound. Well, this is the heavenly trump of God calling out to him. There's green rainbows. There's a throne. I mean, he's encountering so much. And then it says that one on the throne was like a sardius and a jasper. Those are two of the most brilliant stones John has probably ever seen. And they have a very distinct red, orange, fiery color. The jasper actually was the last and the sardius was the first stones of the high priest's breastplate in Exodus 28. The jasper was the first and the sardius the sixth stones of the foundation of the heavenly Jerusalem found in Revelation 21. And so these are very significant stones. The modern jasper today is opaque, while it is evident that the jasper that we are reading about in Revelation is remarkable for its translucent character. But both stones are in the reddish family. So he who sat on the throne was like fire in appearance. And this scene impresses the mind with a sense of the majesty of him who cannot be described. He is a consuming fire, right? And it's of him who no image should even be attempted to describe. I mean, compare Deuteronomy 4.12 when it says, And the Lord spoke to you out of the midst of the fire. You heard the sound of the words, but saw no form. You only heard a voice. This is such imagery of the majesty of God on the throne. And then around the throne was a rainbow, emerald in appearance. It was a blue-green. And one of the things that I want you to do when you're done listening to this, is I encourage you to look up a picture or a video of the Aurora Borealis and look at the beautiful displays of greens and blues, how that light, it's a moving light and it moves across the sky. That is probably the closest thing we have on earth to this emerald rainbow around the throne of God. 
I mean, the Aurora Borealis is a striking sight in and of itself. People people travel far and wide to experience that moment, if they even can, in their lifetime. And yet, in all its beauty and all of its awestruck wonder, it pales in comparison to the actual emerald rainbow around the throne of God. And then you have 24 thrones around the main throne. And then you have 24 elders sitting clothed in white robes around the throne. And you, they have crowns of gold on their head. And then you have lightnings and thunderings and voices. And this is a picture, my friends, of Exodus 19 verses 16 through 20. When the people arrived after they crossed over the Red Sea and they crossed through different challenging things and they come to Mount Sinai. And it says it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunderings and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and the sound of the trumpet was very loud so that all the people in the camp trembled. And then that's when Moses brought the people out to try to meet with God. But now Mount Sinai was completely in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire. And so what John is seeing here in the throne room of heaven is a taste of what Moses and the people experienced on Mount Sinai. The smoke on Mount Sinai, it says, ascended like a furnace and the whole mountain quaked. And that blast of the trumpet, it sounded long and became louder and louder and louder. Imagine that scene in Exodus for a moment. In the middle of a desert, this quaking, the sounds, the smoke, imagine the smells of heaven. It had to be so incredible. And yet here is John experiencing something like that in the throne room of God. The lightnings, the thunderings, the voices. He's got these brilliant light around the throne. This is is quite a scene. And these lamps of fire are burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. I can only imagine John's eyes are darting from one thing to the next, trying to take it all in as any of us would, right? But above it all, There is a peaceful aspect to the whole scene, a sea of glass stretching to the horizon. What a sharp contrast this will prove to be with the profound disturbances taking place on the earth from chapter 6 onward. That our Lord sits completely undisturbed on his throne by all the events below, and he is experiencing Nonstop worship, nonstop at honor, nonstop adoration, beauty all around him, all power and all authority. God reigns supreme above all battles between good and evil. He doesn't have to struggle. He knows exactly how to deal with what arises, which is why he is worthy of all worship. A word, by the way, derived from worthship telling someone how much they are worth to you. The creator receives nonstop praise from the creation he's made. I love it. I love every piece of imagery found in this chapter. That our Lord sits completely undisturbed upon his throne in the midst of all the chaos going on in the world. And in the midst of the throne are four living creatures of which people are known to share about 20 different explanations for, let me tell you. 
But the living creatures in the original language are actually translated as beasts. They are living ones. They are beasts, though. And that word here, it denotes a living being, but in English, the equivalent is animal. And these animals or these beasts have faces like a lion, like an ox, like a man, and an eagle. In the apocalyptic scriptures, as these living beings are also found in Ezekiel 1, so make note of that, and I encourage you to read Ezekiel 1. In the apocalyptic scriptures is where this word is found some 20 times, and always of those beings which stand before the throne of God, who give glory and honor and thanks to him, and who act in perfect harmony with his counsels. That word beasts is signifying that not only are these creatures, quote, living, but they are also on the upper end of the life scale. They are neither small animals nor men, but they are stunning angelic creatures. And their praise is Trinitarian. They say, holy, 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 three times. And they speak of God in three dimensions, past, present, and future. And when these beasts give glory, honor, and praise, the 24 elders fall down in worship. And almost certainly these elders represent the two covenant peoples of God, Israel and the church. Notice the 24 names on the gates of the new Jerusalem, on the gates and foundations that's found in Revelation 21. We'll get to that. And they have crowns and they have thrones. But right now it is only delegated authority. And they cast down their crowns before him as these beasts worship and praise him. So even though we earn our crowns from our faithfulness to different things from our time on earth, right? We must always keep in mind, friends, we wouldn't even have a crown if it wasn't for Jesus's work on the earth. And then through his spirit's work in our lives, Therefore, he is worthy for us to cast our crowns before him because we could accomplish nothing and can accomplish nothing apart from him. And so this is such a powerful picture of what is taking place in heaven right now. There is no action in chapter four, only unceasing worship. We are literally taking in to a glimpse of a heavenly worship service. And it's a permanent scene with no time reference here. And it closes with, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. God created everything for his own pleasure. And I want to close with this Colossians 1 16 to 18. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him 
and for him. And he is before all things. And by him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he, Jesus, might have the preeminence. So for thy pleasure they are and were created. So take comfort from this vision. Our Lord sits in perfect peace, perfect authority, and perfect power, undisturbed by the present condition of this world. And he's waiting for the right time to close out this age. I hope this blesses you today. Take care. Mm -hmm.